0: The The living room's dark, save for light being cast From the big TV screen and the imminent sunrise That's teasing the one-starry sky With whispers of morning Hey Mike Hey
1: Lions, how you doing? good i'm uh i'm excited about this game mostly because i feel like it's been ages since you've spoken up on an episode and i just i knew you were going to have things to say on this one
2: yeah a reminder to the listeners that i am on every single episode um i just don't choose to talk on almost all of them i've only talked on four previous or three or four previous ones
1: yeah and and i appreciate yeah it was tactics uh Link's awakening
2: secret of mana
1: Ooh, Secret of Mana, Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just you have a very discerning taste. You just wait until you have something valuable <laughs> to contribute.
2: Yeah, um, this is a three-person hosted podcast, <laughs> and just the third host just almost never speaks. And you also never address me on most of them, which I don't consider rude. It's you're just respecting that I I will speak up when I finally have something to say. And similarly George is on this episode he's just not speaking a whisper quiet. probably I don't know he might speak
1: <laughs> See this is why we record with cameras on because if you put your hand up then I would know you had something to say <laughs> Yeah So what did we play we played uh The Earthbound in America yeah. which in Japan was Mother 2
2: Yeah the second in a 3 there's 3 of them total um And then also the if you watch the Angry Video Game Nerd review, he talks about the he connects it to the Aronofsky film Mother with Jennifer (laughs) Lawrence that came out like a year or two ago. He pretends that's part of the series, Um, but no, it's not related to that. Yeah, is it? Is it not? (laughs) Who? I mean, with the fan theories that run wild with this game, I wouldn't be surprised if you could make a case (laughs) that it's somehow connected to that film. (laughs) Yeah, Earthbound.
1: So, June 5th, 1995, uh, original U.S. release. It came out in 94 in Japan. Um, For me, this was like a uh, borrow this game from Brian as much as I could borrow this game from Brian game. Um, And and I have some very specific memories of uh, sitting up in his house until very late in the evening trying to get the best weapon for Ness and for Pooh because... You only have a 1 in 256 chance of them being dropped from specific monsters. And we had like a big piece of paper on the wall where we were like tallying up how many times we had done that stupid fight. <laughs> so like this game is like, is, it's deeply rooted in that time in my life, like in, in my, my young JRPG. But I realized I went back to this game with the same kind of frequency that I went back to other JRPGs. But I didn't always play it all the way to the end like I would get into it and then not finish it even though I had finished it like a crap load of times as a kid so like I was actually a little little nervous going into this I was like oh no what, <laughs> what if what if like I can't even bear to finish it so that was like there was some some what would you say trepidation I was I was timid yeah. going into it
2: you didn't know if your nostalgic goggles would hold up uh Yeah, this came out arguably late in... I mean, not arguably. It is late in the Super Nintendo's run because, like, 96 is when the 64 comes out and Nintendo basically abandons the Super NES entirely (laughs) (laughs) pretty immediately, which is normal for console transitions. But... Uh, You know, this is a contemporary, you know, this will be important context when we talk about some of the other details of the game. This is a a peer of Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy III and other what people often would rank as equally important RPGs for this era of gaming.
1: Yeah, and I I forgot to include Chrono Trigger, but in my notes uh, in the visuals, uh, I literally was like, oh my god, this came out the same year as Final (laughs) Fantasy III. (laughs) Right, which is... Is not necessarily a critique, but I was like that putting it in that place, like in the calendar of my mind. I was just like, oh, holy crap!
2: <laughs> yeah, and for me, it, I didn't have a friend that owned it, so this was I didn't get as deep with the game when it came out. It was a rental that was like, wow, this game is really interesting, but it would be more like I'd get a weekend with it, and maybe I did that four or five times. Never beat it back then, never probably didn't even get very far. I don't feel like they gave you the guide um, when you rented it back then, which I think is pretty damn crucial for this game. They're packing (laughs) a guide in with it that either is just you know the Japanese developer saying we don't trust Americans to know what's going on, or they know they made a very strange game and they really wanted to hand. I mean, that was common in you know some of the NES games you guys review they, the the instruction manual actually gave a lot of help on like here's how this game actually behaves
1: also we 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 guys we guys review um but yeah it's a uh, it something about shipping it with the guide that would normally cost like $20 if you bought it independently is either questionable about the game's understandability, period, or damning about their perception of American audience, like you said, which is <laughs> probably the one it was. Is probably them <laughs> being like, ah, eh, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. Let's just give them the guide.
2: Famously, Final Fantasy 4, which was released as 2 on the Super Nintendo, was dumbed down and made easier. If you play the USA ROM, it's an easier game, because they're like, eh, hey, let's go easy <laughs> on them. <laughs>
1: I well, we we can get into a whole other conversation about Final Fantasy, but apparently, like a bunch of the early ones that didn't come to the U.S. was entirely because they were like, they're not going to get it. They they won't. This is way <laughs> over their heads. Which, as a long a lifelong Final Fantasy fan, is kind of like, come on, I would have played your game. But anyway, we played Earthbound this time. Um, I do. Before we talk about anything else, I need to ask you uh, when you first turn on Earthbound and you start up a new game. The very first thing it makes you do is name everyone and choose like your what they call flavor, like the color of the the text box and the background and stuff so one uh how did you name your characters, and two, what is your flavor,
2: Mike <laughs> uh, my flavor is pizza, I think was what I picked this time, <laughs> or that was favorite food that's a separate question that is a it?
1: separate question. The flavor is like the color of the checkerboard and the outline of the text boxes, uh, yeah. That's flavor. I think
2: it was a blue, a blue frame, uh, whichever mint, mint, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a plain flavor guy. I also very rarely changed my text box in like any of the Final Fantasies because I assume that they picked those colors on purpose, and the alternative colors always seemed <laughs> like, eh.
2: yeah. Final Fantasy was always very disciplined. The the white text on blue, just high contrast, easy to read, and. As we know from the Secret of Mana review, that their window checkerboard (laughs) nonsense was like nigh unreadable. So (laughs) I appreciate that EarthBound's choices were still readable for the most part, no matter what you pick. That's true. I think
1: there's only like two or three, whereas like some of the Final Fantasies actually give you like an RGB slider. It's like, go ahead, make it whatever horrible lime green you want.
2: (laughs) Make it hot pink.
1: (laughs) I'm a plain flavor guy. I respect your choice of mint.
2: Yeah, visuals. I, How are the graphics in this game?
1: They're um quirky, they're simplistic and I think it's really important that you mentioned a moment ago that this game came out as a contemporary of Final Fantasy 3, which was, you know, the Japanese 6 because uh <laughs> you would almost <laughs> not believe that these two games came out within like 6 months of each other.
2: Yeah and that this game had a i read i know you're not supposed to do research and i i respect that but uh 5 years this game was in development but that doesn't mean it was in art direction for 5 years it means that <laughs> no, all the other things we're going to no, talk doesn't. about were i'd say the the graphics are very charming they're very cute i very, i enjoyed the, you know the way the you know one of the coolest things about this game is the setting is so unique and i'm sure we'll have a lot to say about that especially the further you get into the adventure how insane it gets but, uh, you know, even just being set in, like, houses and cities and modern day and, like, you know, your your enemy choices are, not choices, the enemies you face are, like, they start out, even before they get really strange, it's like, you know, it's like a cop or a hippie or, uh, you know, a dog or a bird, which may be more normal-ish for RPGs, but you know you're facing contemporary like things that you didn't see much it was almost always fantasy medieval kind of um or cyberpunk kind of settings in in any other rpg and so just the novelty of being in a town and going into shops that were like modern like an arcade not just like oh ye old armor shop
1: <laughs> well there's there's the hospital and a hotel instead of an inn right it's it's all the all the trappings of, I believe it's 19XX, right? But all, all the trappings of, like, relatively modern small-town society are present, and yet it doesn't feel like... At no point in the game do you think, oh, I'm just one step away from the portal that transports me back to medieval times where I trade in my baseball bat for a sword. Like it's just understood that if you're a kid and you need to beat something to death, you're probably going to use a bat because you're a kid and a bat is more readily accessible, right? It's, it's, there's this weird (laughs) sense of almost normalcy, like, mundanity of like yeah you wear like bracelets as armor and you carry like common household items as your weapons right
2: and you you eat hamburgers and fries not potions
1: yes all of the healing items are like normal food when you get poisoned you have to go to the hospital when you get a you get sick you take a cold remedy like it's it there's this weird through line of kind of just like norm core (laughs)
2: throughout. (laughs) Yeah. And that's remain like even to this day, I feel like there's very rare that a game, an RPG like this would choose that kind of setting. I'm sure there's plenty of other examples, especially with some indie games now, but it's still not that common. Like we're still often going into a fantasy setting for RPGs and, you know, Skyrims of the world and breath of the wild and all these things have very fantastical settings and this very deliberately. And I'd say like it, of its era, it's very '90s. Um, the if you, I don't know if you remember the ad campaign for this game, like in magazines. Uh, are you familiar Ooh, at I all? Mean, with it? I mean,
1: I do remember in like Nintendo Power and stuff. Everything was weirdly claymation.
2: So the, the the ad campaign, their main message was: this game stinks. Was like their their phrase about it? Which oh the, yeah! And so it had a lot of scratch and sniff with like awful smells on it and then it was just like very snarky and it's kind of like if you look at it it's so 90s it's just like <laughs> extreme piles of goop and like everything was gross out in the 90s and like alternative and uh the a, a, a specific kind of diversity that the 90s was like whether you're a punk or a, <laughs> a, a goth or a skater or like whatever you are come and let's play games together and it's kind of that that same marketing vibe to it but also just like it was very loud about how this game is weird. Come play this game because it's weird. And, you know, I think, you know, I, there's something I like about that, even though people are, like, if you read the Wikipedia page, they're pretty critical about, like, yeah, this ad campaign kind of turned people off to the game.
1: <laughs> now, and that that seems like something that was distinctly Japanese critical of, Americans or the, you know, the American Nintendo arm, you know, that brought it over, like, because if you look at the game, like the visuals in the game itself, it's a lot of Western imagery, right? Everything looks like small town America. I mean, Ness wears a baseball cap. And and I know the Japanese are also like super big into baseball. But I mean, it's like baseball is a very American thing, right? And there's like, Paula is, is like a, you know, blonde pink dress wearing, right. Very, very Western, very American. Like there's a lot of Western American imagery in the game. And that carried over to like the weird claymation stuff they did in the guide, which is very like Tim Burton, Christmas specials kind of thing. And then to also have the advertisements be like super rad, like this game's too weird for you. Like, it's hard to I, I'm not an expert in Japanese advertising, but somehow it's just hard to imagine them being like, Oh, you're you're too you're not cool enough for this weird game. Yeah. Right? Like doesn't that just feel like something that was designed for an American audience?
2: Yeah, it's like we gotta MTV this <laughs> ad, kind of. They listen to Nirvana. We gotta advertise yeah. that way.
1: So I have to uh call out speaking of the visuals, um I, I had this feeling on this playthrough that I don't recall ever having occurred to me before, but I realized, I don't know, maybe an hour or two into the game, that for all of the quirky visuals and for all of the psychotic flashing colors, because holy crap, there's a lot of flashing colors in this game, um, I think this game is actually a text adventure with just a light coating of visuals in front of it. And the thing that made me have that realization is all of the interactions with the world, you have to like pop open the menu and say, you want to talk to someone or check, which is very text adventure. Mm -hmm. And then in combat and even in some conversations, but in combat, there's like no animations. Everything is static and described, right? Everything is, you know, the, the crow pecked at your eyes or, you know, the dog is looking sheepish or there's just all of this really vivid, vivid, Descriptions of visuals with only static imagery and bright flashing colors to support it. And I, I think like we'll we'll get to you know the mechanics and stuff when we get there, but like I feel like that was not an accident. It it really feels like they wanted the story and the tone of the game to be indisputable, and so they literally force you to consume it through text, and then they just put Kind of this minimum viable visuals over it, minimum visual product over a text adventure game,
2: <laughs> and specifically, yeah, the 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 battle visuals are. I think of Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest as it's you know originally called, and now the whole series is referred to as Dragon Quest. Um, you don't see your heroes in the battle scene. This is, you know, fantasy Star is similar even though you see the backs of their heads and you actually get to see them go up and like swing at the enemy. But uh, Dragon Warrior is very console, very you're reading the log of the battle <laughs> as it happens. And yeah, I, I think even though I eventually came to appreciate that there is some interest and in depth to the battles and there's some mechanics we'll get to about it that are a little more interesting than just reading a log of it. Um, my initial impression was like, eh, the Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy are just so much more advanced and interesting, not to make it about those games, but <laughs> as contemporaries, uh, I think, you know, uh, an advocate for this game would make the case you're making that it's about the story. It's, it's about the meta-ness of the story and how, um, you know, the personality of this game, um trumps almost anything else and so even the the way they show a battle wants to feature that more than make it a fun complex battle system
1: yeah and the the battle system has has its its quirks that will will definitely have to pull apart but the fact that they opted for it to be i mean if it wasn't for the moving background you would not be wrong to think like did did my super nintendo crash like why why is the game not moving right if the background wasn't constantly like a wavy trippy acid pattern then you wouldn't know that there's anything happening because you don't see the characters on screen the monsters don't the enemies the enemies don't move right there's it's a it's a matte painting behind a disney animation right it's but it but the reverse the matte painting is the foreground and the disney animation is the trippy background like it's and and I'm not even necessarily deriding that. It's just it's an odd choice for this time in history, right? To have had games like Dragon Warrior where that was kind of they were sort of bound by the limitations of the system and then now to be and in. in Chrono Trigger Final Fantasy III era and then be like, yeah, no, if it was good enough for the original Mother, then it's good enough for Earthbound. Gosh darn it.
2: And I mean, one of the things, you know, across the five years of development, um, (laughs) having a simple battle system where you don't have to get your artist to create all the different, you know, sprite frames for all the different crazy creatures they wanted to throw into it. Maybe let them iterate more on how the variety of things you fight in this game because instead of, like, well, we have to have, you know, a, a sick state and a getting hit animation and whatever all the different, like, I remember, like, Square would always be so proud of, like, our sprites, like, they have, like, 24 emotions <laughs> they can show. Um, <laughs> or, you know, you'd see these sprite maps of, like, yeah, Terra and Final Fantasy 6, like, can express all of these things. And um, this was so much simpler because they're like, yeah, we can do anything we want because all we have to do is write it in the console. And it happened. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to the mechanics. But, um, you know, it's funny you bring up the background. The The backgrounds reminded me of, like, the bad, like, iTunes visualizations when you turn on, like, the oh, like, dude, music. Oh, dude, it's totally through, Winamp, it's just yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 just like Super Nintendo versions of that. Um, but that does connect to the, the very last, which I didn't get to on my playthrough, but I watched some YouTube videos, um, <laughs> the very final boss battles in the game you he basically is the background so it's kind of a through line there maybe a little bit you could argue but yeah that's
1: true i never i didn't i didn't think about that way that gygas eventually is the entire field of view where you see nothing except your like little character stat boxes and then him um yeah that's and you've been trained the entire game that the background is always moving and like this little you know warp pattern so, yeah, that that's interesting. I like the idea that at that point he like there is nothing else. Like there is no world outside of Gagas. Yeah. It's just you and Gargus.
2: Or quote your postmodern Derrida: "There is no outside the text."
1: <laughs> no, I actually I appreciate that jumping off point because this is something that I don't think even modern games could consistently realistically do, which is expressing so much in stuff in text means they don't just have control over. How something's presented, they have like pinpoint precision. So, an example is uh, you and I are in a battle, and I die or I fall in battle or pass out. I think we <laughs> pass out. So, I die, and then uh, we get an item, and it says, you know, like, oh, you got a hamburger. But if your inventory is full and mine's not, it says, mike takes it and puts it in lion's stuff and like there's all sorts of little tiny things in the text that are just like when you if you're in battle and you get an item and no one has inventory space or you just don't want the item so you choose to leave it behind the word they use to describe it is abandon it says yeah you (laughs) abandon like the hamburger or whatever and like there's, there just aren't ways that you could convey that same kind of inner emotion through no matter how high-res a character's pixel art is. Like, their their face can't convey that they feel like they are abandoning <laughs> this item or, like, the sadness you feel when you have to put something into my backpack because I'm a corpse. Like, there's just – like, the, the fact that they went with the crazy text gave them a kind of precision control that is – it's kind of amazing. And they and they use it, right? It's not laziness. Like, this feels like an absolutely intentional choice. But I once I started noticing, like, all those little subtle things, I, I was spending a lot of time in my own head being like, oh, what am I supposed to be feeling based on the way this sentence is phrased or based on the way that, right? And then when they do convey something through the visuals, I'm kind of like... Yeah, but what would they have described this as in text? Like, you almost start (laughs) shifting away from the graphics.
2: For some reason, I think of, like, uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like, the writing in that book is so good that no matter how good a movie is, and even though you want to bring that to life with visuals, it's like, but you can't replace how he he wrote it. Like, that's just so much better. And I'm not the guy that's always like, oh, the book was better. But <laughs> Only on Ender's there, Game. There are times when you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ender's <laughs> Game. First episode ever, Flipping Tables. Um, what other visuals before we get too off the rails into the concept of the game?
1: The other big visual thing from other JRPGs is enemies on the map, like overworld enemies. Mm-hmm. Because that gives you some interesting mechanical things, but... Most importantly to me, whenever they choose to put enemies on the map in a game, especially in this era when, you know, crazy effect that leads into random battles was the, the, you know, the MO. (laughs) Enemies on the map to me makes the world feel more, like, cohesive, right? It's not that I'm walking along and then, oh, God, something randomly popped up out of the ground. It's I'm walking down the street and I can see a crazy hippie right around the corner of the fence, and then I might choose not to go that way, or I might choose to sneak around so I can come up behind him, or I might just plow into him because I'm grinding and I want to get into as many battles as possible, but seeing the enemies on the map
2: creates... (laughs) You're going to plow into him because you're grinding? (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: yeah. Mm. Mm. (laughs) My choices of words are just always just just delicious. Um, (laughs) But... But you know what I mean, right? It it creates a different (laughs) dynamic between the player and the enemies when you literally look around the world as the character and see them about, like, inhabiting the same space. And I don't think every game should necessarily give up random encounters for enemies on the map, and lots of games have done enemies on the map poorly. But generally, I prefer it, and this game, I think, does it in a really like it it feels cohesive like it's it's appropriate visually to the overall feeling of the world
2: and one nice clever visual to indicate that you have become more powerful is the weaker enemies will start to run away from you like initially they run straight for you but once and then if you even get into a battle with them i guess this is sort of mechanics it'll sometimes just be like you won you don't have to go through the battle like it's it's just the same dog you've killed 500 dogs. Sorry, you've made them tame. And you get it.
1: yes. I this, see these are more things conveyed through words, right? Is certain enemies are tamed or calmed down or defeated, but there's very few enemies that you kill or destroy, right? Like that's reserved for certain like end game big baddies like most any Any enemy that is a normal person or animal that has been corrupted by gygus you don't kill them, you like bring them to their senses, right, which is not a thing you could easily convey visually without like a bunch of over the top mm-hmm. visuals, but it's like two words in the text right so I, oh man, I love it um what, what I was going to say about the uh, the instant kill thing is there's certainly some interesting mechanics going on there, but I think they made this really clever cohesive detail with the visuals, which is uh, when you So there's three colors for random encounters. There's the gray, which is generic random encounter. There's the red, which means you screwed up and they get to go first. And then there's the green, which means you get to go first because they were running from you or you got like a back attack. But if there's an instant kill, it flashes the entire screen in the exact same colors that it flashes the entire screen in when you get a critical hit, which they call a smash. But... <laughs> <laughs> but i i like that there's there's a a kind of visual consistency that when you really nail something in combat and you're like yeah i got a crit like that's the same little visual cue you get when you instantly win the battle which feels like the logical extension like yes i hit them so hard once that the battle is
2: over yeah this probably blends into visuals and gameplay um One of the things I found very frustrating about the visuals was uh, the pathfinding. There would be so many times where there would be a gap between trees or like a wall on a tree that in terms of the pixel art, I can so easily get through. And the game has decided, (laughs) no, this is not a path you can walk through. And I, I found it. V- occasionally, super frustrating, especially when I'd want to like not walk all the way down the sidewalk to the corner. I try to cut through the trees of like a neighborhood to like get to the next street, and then just be like, nah, go around. Sorry, buddy,
1: go around. Well, and they, I I think they themselves were even aware of that because the dungeons have almost nothing in them that would ever cause that problem. They're usually very sparsely detailed and. And there's like a whatever theme they are, there isn't like a bunch of I don't know, you would call it like objects in the dungeon. Like, if you're in the sewer, there aren't a ton of barrels and stuff. If you're in like the laboratory, there isn't like lab equipment everywhere. If you're in like the space station, there isn't like sci fi doodads all over the place. Like, the the worlds are fairly sparsely created or sparsely populated when you're in the dungeons, but the towns have fences and buildings and. People and trees and bushes and mailboxes yeah. and just signs and crap everywhere. So like when you're walking through a town, where you're like, oh, no big deal, I could just cut over through here Nope, no, you in fact cannot do that. I know it looks like you can, but no, screw you. <laughs> right? And then when you're in the dungeon, where that feeling would be maybe more concerning because there's a higher abundance of enemies and you're trying to desperately like get to safety or achieve your goal, they seem to have opted not to. Sp- to populate those worlds with any of that stuff. So yeah, it's annoying and I'm surprised they, they like kind of let it go. Like, why can't you just like clip through a bush or something? Who cares?
2: One of the other things I, I guess I would say about visuals is, uh, the game really ma- gave you a sense that anything could be something you might have to fight anything, any creature, any object, any, there's nothing is safe sort of, um, and so, you know, this is such a novelty. Where we're like, oh, I, I'm going to fight a taxi now, or I'm going to fight, I don't know. Like, it gets so bonkers by yeah, the I mean, end of you, you get attacked by street signs
1: by. in the first, uh, in, you know, in Onet, um, <laughs> cops and random citizens attack you
2: the entire police force decides to <laughs> <that's> hop and <laughs> try to destroy you which yeah. i thought was the game doesn't really seem to be making any commentary on police brutality but it was just like wow okay i'm just going to fight the entire police force now
1: <laughs> yeah and and the yeah yeah it's dark right <laughs> but there's there's a there's a there's no visual distinction in the way the interior of buildings the exterior of towns, the interior of dungeons, like all of them have the same camera at the same zoom level. Like there's no there's thematic differences in like how one area looks versus another, but there's no visual indicator that you are in a place that is safe or you are in a place where you can be attacked by enemies. And from literally the moment you walk out of your house, there are snakes and crows and dogs that attack you. So the game very (laughs) quickly teaches you, oh, by the way, the entire world is out to get you. You are never safe at any time. (laughs) And I think it's important that that visual consistency is there because if you were like, oh no, I was in a town and towns look different than dungeons. I didn't know I could be attacked in towns or, oh no, I was in a building. I didn't know I could be attacked when I was in a building. Like there's nothing, there's no... The fact that you can be attacked right outside your house in the very beginning of the game is the game's way of saying, nowhere is safe. It's all going to look like this. Any NPC or bush or random street sign (laughs) is going to potentially murder you, right? And I, I I like what that conveys tonally about the universe, but I also think it's kind of... Maybe even unique. I can't think of another JRPG that I've ever played where it's like, oh, by the way, the entire world is trying to murder you, so just be
2: aware of that. No, I mean, eventually I'm going to have some words to say about this game as pop art and as like kind of like the end of Metal Gear Solid 2 when it kind of gets so <laughs> meta, postmodern, insane. Like, there's There's not a lot of games that go this deep with its conceptual framework and that that is part of the visual through line of, even though the graphics are simple, you could even say they're like, in some ways, they kind of suck for what the Super Nintendo was capable of. They're just kind of like, it's like a nice NES game more than a Super Nintendo game sometimes. Yeah.
1: I mean, the, these are high res versions of the NES graphics, right? Because there's, in, in Mother, the original game, there's uh, a lot of visual overlap, right? The main character looks very similar. There's a lot of similar looking enemies and similar kind of towns and stuff. And it really feels like what they did was make HD versions of the NES game, not Super Nintendo graphics. And like, do you remember when, uh, I don't think it was the most recent Smash Brothers, but like one or two Smash Brothers ago when they show each of the characters and like little sparklies goes over them and they go from looking the way they did on the GameCube to looking like, Oh my God, on the Wii, they look amazing. And I always (laughs) thought that commercial was really funny because when they show the high def version of Kirby, he looks like exactly the same. (laughs) It's just like you had a pink sphere and now you have a pink sphere with slightly better (laughs) shading. And that's kind of how playing Earthbound (laughs) feels. It's like, oh, we took NES graphics and added a few more pixels, but there isn't more shading, there isn't more detail, there isn't a lot more of anything. And again, not bad, but a very intentional stylistic choice to be like, hey, you know that chrono trigger? That's not what we're doing. We're not going to do
2: that. One more graphics thing. Well, I have two more, but the one I wanted to bring up, which we we noted to each other pre-show, um the house furnishings don't make any damn sense in this game. <laughs> no, no, they do not. <laughs> the the rooms are huge. It's like a bedroom is huge and there's just like a couch in the middle and it's just like yeah, no one and maybe maybe you can say, Well, this universe is weird. The game gets weird, but like even when before it's weird, you're just like, What is going on with well, these? Well, some
1: people's houses are a single room. With, like, a bed and a couch and a dresser, but no kitchen or bathroom, right? Like, there's (laughs) – and this universe definitely has a notion of bathrooms because there's some bathroom jokes thrown in, like, in certain office buildings. You can, like, knock on the bathroom door and, like, people say funny things back to you. So there's – yeah, they're they're weird and it feels like they're weird on purpose. Not like, oh, it's a it's an RPG, you don't have to see every room in this person's house like you are seeing every room in this person's house and they just <laughs> don't shower or cook food, I guess.
2: And this room exists because it's where you're going to get your bat and this room exists cuz you know, this neighbor's mom's going to kill the bee, like that's why it exists. It's not it doesn't exist to be a a normal house. It's not trying to serve that function. Um and the other thing I wanted to bring up was, unless you have more to say about the house furnishings, is the... Um, we'll have more to say about the mechanics of shopping or the battle <laughs> UI, but um, the use of flicker and and like basically animating the border of a window to indicate who can equip something, um, I found to be irritatingly vague. I don't know how much better this item is and maybe I mean, you could still go back and like try to defend this game on its concept of like it's not trying to be D&D it's not trying to be Final Fantasy where it's not a stat sheet game but nonetheless you know i had to talk to a dog in one of the shops to <laughs> find out what the different flickering's mean or you know dimming and you can kind of infer it and you you'll figure it out but it just seemed really really subtle and it um, I would have preferred something just a little more straightforward on like, you're going to buy this yo-yo, how much better is it? And, and et cetera.
1: Yeah. N- numbers feel like they might've been a nice fit here, especially cause you can, after <laughs> yeah. you buy something and equip it, look in the stats and see what number goes with that thing. Like, is this more number or less number, right? Like they do give you that information. <laughs> yeah. They just don't give you that information at a time when you're making a decision, which is exceptionally annoying. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this does actually tie in pretty tight to the graphics because it's not often that I play a game where I'm like, the UI in this game sucks. And it's even less often that I think, and I'm pretty sure they're doing it on purpose to screw with me. <laughs> right? like, it, there's, I think you literally do talk to a dog to learn how the different flashing and stuff, like what it represents. Yeah. And you could, if you played any other games, you could probably determine like, oh, this means that I can equip this. This means that it's better. But in the early part of the game, especially where money is not an infinite resource like it is after like in the second half of the game, there are times where you'd be like, well, is it so much better that I want to buy it? Right? And in the first half of the game, before (laughs) you know how this mechanic works and before money has become an infinite resource, you might also catch yourself thinking like, well is this enough better that I should get this or should I wait and get like the next thing at the next town? But in fact, the answer is this is always the best thing. There's never like an intermediary step. Yeah. There are only like 10 weapons in the game. And so the next one is always worth getting like the fact that they even say like, Oh, this one is better than the one you have. It's like, yes, I know that because if it's not the one I already have equipped (laughs) and I'm not in the next town, then it by like by a, By process of elimination, (laughs) it will be better. So there's this, it it feels too intentional to be an accident. But as a video game player, the lack of information in the shopping and equipping UI is just, it's annoying. Even though I know why they're doing it. Even though I know how the game is played. I'm still like, just tell me. Just tell me how much better it is.
2: Yeah, or even the different healing items or status healing, like fixing items. Tell me before I buy it or give me away. Don't make me buy it and then go help in the menu to figure out, you know, what the hell it does. Um, Again, the game, if you bought the game, came with a guide. Presumably (laughs) that guide tells you all this stuff. Um, But... I don't think that's like you could have that defense, but I feel like in the 90s, not everyone, like, I feel like people our age rented games a lot more than they bought games because we didn't have disposable incomes until, you know, junior high or high school, whenever we started having paper routes, at least, (laughs) Um, if not better jobs. Um, And so I just, yeah, I just feel like that was all so opaque and it was needlessly obfuscated i guess you can make the argument that it, it fits conceptually as some kind of we're messing with you but it's still irritating
1: yeah and, and i i don't think uh for anything that's you know postmodern weird for the sake of weird right All all the other artsy fartsy things you might say about this game or anything like that you get to a point where it's like, oh we we're not putting this information in the u i because they're gonna expect it to be in the u i from these other similar games they played Har ha ha It's like, yeah, but that <laughs> actually harshes my ability to play and enjoy this game, right so you you get to a point where you are trading like user experience for your artsy criticism of video games, and to me, this is. This is a fall down point. Like, I would rather have had a more traditional Final Fantasy style. This one's better. It's better by this much, right? Like, do you want to buy it? Because you might see a better thing next time, right? Like, I I would have rathered that than the quirky, you have to memorize what everything does. And you have to just know that the next weapon is always worth purchasing, right? There's, like... It, it's it's a it's a it's the the clever UI supports their their tone, but I think it sacrifices some user experience, some some player experience. PX.
2: Okay, I thought of one more visual thing <laughs> that I wanted to bring up, which is people are chatty in this game, and I don't mean like. In the story, that's awesome because the, the writing is so good, and I, I you know, I would definitely want to, you know, take whatever time we want to talk about how good the writing and how funny and interesting and weird this game is. Um, but even the routine things like saving your game or shopping are just kind of grating <laughs> after a while because they just they always got something else. Dad's got something else to say about he doesn't want you working too hard, and he's going to say it every single time you save.
1: You're a hard worker, just like your mother.
2: I guess there's another, weirdly, I wasn't expecting to compare it to Metal Gear, but when you <laughs> save in Metal Gear, like you guys brought up on the episode, I chose not to say anything at the time, but I listened carefully to you guys talk about how, yeah, mailing or whoever's just always got some words of wisdom for you. And you're just like, can I just continue? Like, why Why are we doing this? And especially when you're shopping and you you want to buy four hamburgers or you want to get a bunch of teddy bears, and you're just like, stop talking and just let me buy three of them at once. And I don't know I'm, I'm getting into mechanics, but um, it's very verbose.
1: And and this is the text UI, right? Like this is a visual choice they made. We're not going to give you a little counter that lets you say, I want four things. They're not going to give you all this clear visual information and a little help box, even though they have the screen real estate for it, right? They, they give you this super minimal UI and then all of the affordances that would come with more information all just go out the window, right? And, like, I think it's hard not to talk about this stuff without talking about how it impacts the mechanics of the universe because there, this is not an accident. Like, they made these visual decisions not because they thought it looked cool. It's because of the impact it has mechanically. They wanted to have all these effects. And they were like, well, what visual things could we do? And in the case of, like, the store... And in the case of like the battle system and stuff, their answer was throw away most of the visuals and make them read about it.
2: Yeah. Should we talk about audio? You got any other visuals?
1: No, we should talk about audio.
2: I feel like I'm going to be the George of this episode and not have a lot of notes about audio, which might be surprising given that ostensibly I'm a musician. <laughs> <laughs> on pa- I play one on TV. Yeah. Um, I thought the, the 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 MIDI samples they used in this were very. I've heard this on a lot of Super Nintendo games. Mm. Um, the compositions we can talk about, <laughs> but the actual sounds, I'm like, this is like SimCity. This is like some other other early era Super Nintendo games before Square, whoever started pushing the boundaries, of. You know, we're, we're still not to the PlayStation era where they get CDs and the uh, music just gets so good. But, uh, you know, it's very much like, it felt like stock patches for the different instruments. Um, but I do think the music was is lovely in this game. And there's lots of very, very memorable music. Um, other than the couple of town themes that I got so sick of that loop <laughs> so quickly, the little banjo <laughs> tune, Um, There's a couple of them that you know I kind of like. I'm gonna have nightmares about. Like it's just gonna fade in as my alarm in the morning, and be like, "God damn it!" (laughs) That said, I do think I really love the soundtrack. I think it's a great soundtrack. It it fits really well with the the kids going through the world and then discovering how strange the world is. Uh, It's it's pretty cool. So,
1: I I had not considered sort of reuse of other super nintendo sample sounds but i'm gonna speculate wildly here and say that may have been intentional in the way that someone who wants to sound like a certain band makes sure they use the same like effects pedal on the same guitar And they get the same kind of symbols so that their crash has the same kind of sound as the this other band that they're kind of emulating the style of because i i think that sort of comfort and familiarity is almost it almost tricks you right you hear these like very similar sounds to like Mario games and SimCity and, like, early Super Nintendo-era games. And so you're like, oh, this all kind of feels familiar. I recognize music that sounds like this. And then a lot of the music is, like, weird and tonally appropriate to the game. But the game's weird, so it's, like, a lot of uh, kind of synth-wavy, like, metal noises. A lot of, like, crashing and banging and boom noises, right? Like, things you would not normally consider um, to be, like, charming melodies and then there are also all these charming melodies so it's it's almost like they were using super familiar instruments to lure you into a false sense of security just like how the the graphics all look like children's drawings but then the world is actually incredibly dark
2: right the story of this game is really dark and heavy it's kind of an hp lovecraft almost
1: yeah yeah, there's all of these things that kind of seem normal visually and auditorially and then there's just this looming sense of the uncanny, right? And then like and they hit you with music in weird ways like in uh in the Saturn Village, which I didn't even mention that the Saturns all get like their own crazy impossible to read font, which I love, but it gives you an idea of like how yeah. weird their voices are <laughs> supposed to be. So, like, you imagine the sound. Ha, ha here's how I'm tying these things together. You imagine the sound of their crazy voices because they have this insane font, and they're the only characters that have this, like, super insane font. But uh, in that town, uh, there's this one Saturn that you can talk to, Mr. Saturn. There's this one Mr. Saturn you can talk to, and he's like, hey, do you want to drink coffee with me? And if you say yes, you are forced into this crazy, like, Five minute long text crawl where it's like, hey guys, you've come on this super long journey and you've learned so much. And there's a piece of music that is only accessible during that text crawl. And it's this like really chill, like, hey, come on, we're all going to pull together and we're going to save the day. And like, it's just, it's so bizarre. Like, that there's this very lovingly crafted piece of music that's hidden behind this. Almost frustratingly long text crawl and if you accidentally talk to that Mr Saturn again you can get tricked into watching that long text crawl <laughs> and listening to that music again like it's uh, yeah the lovecraftian is actually not that far off
2: yeah there's there's something terrifying underneath this universe even if it's got so many bright colorful wonderful things going on uh this is a creepy universe and i think that's part of the enduring appeal of earthbound is not just the the lull i'm random i'm funny it's the there's that that undercurrent of like this is kind of messed up (laughs) um and you you, yeah you just want to go home and be with mom and dad but there's (laughs) something kind of messed up going on um Yeah, Uh, it's interesting you brought up the, you know, kind of to kick back the visuals, the fact that an entire village has their own font is a visual thing. And it just kind of got me thinking about how by basing this game on a very simple stack, you know, the visuals are simple, the being text-driven, you know, these choices let them have all these unique scenarios without having to develop an entire game engine to support... Um, wildly different scenarios because the base mechanics are still, even though they're being played with, are very simple Um, and it lets them have all their fun on that meta story layer and not have to worry about We're making a game that has to be 500 different games (laughs) tied together. It's not Kingdom Hearts 3. (laughs) Uh, I love whatever YouTube video tries to explain what happens in Kingdom Hearts. And you're just like, no. Um,
1: So I, I need to ask you, as an ostensible musician on TV, do you appreciate or care about little things that some games choose to do? Because There are little things with the music in Earthbound that are obviously not an accident, but that feel really well thought out and that uh, someone like George – no, don't say anything, George. Someone like George would just kind of let wash over them and not even necessarily be aware of. And and the Mr. Saturn Village here is, again, a great example of this. When you are one cave away from the Mr. Saturn Town – what you have is the creepy ambient cave music that kind of sounds like water dropping and like spacey synthy sound effects. And that has been ducked. And then next to that, you also have the Saturn town music playing. And then when you come out of that cave, the creepy cave music has gone away. And now the Saturn music is at full volume and not every area does that. Not every town does that, but there's something about like, Oh, Oh, the Saturns are kind of of nature, so their town doesn't quite have the borders of like a human town. And so their like township in its music, like creeps out into the surrounding area in a way that's feels, again, like really intentional. Not every town does that. You don't always know when you're one screen away from every other town, but you know when you're one screen away from the Saturn village, and it's it I don't know, just it feels right. Like it feels like, they were like, how would we communicate that these people, their village is different than the man-made villages? Oh, because their music bleeds out into the surrounding area because they don't have, like, clearly defined borders, right? It's I, Maybe I'm reading way too deep into this tiny musical queue in this one <laughs> hallway, but, like, it really stood out to me.
2: <laughs> and it, it's like sirens l- lulling you towards them, maybe. but <laughs> right. No, I mean, that that is interesting. And, and, you know, I think there's lots of games that don't try to do anything, you know, subtle with transitioning you between areas where it's just like, well, you're in the jungle and now here's a pyramid <laughs> and you're in the desert. And it was just like, there's just a line in the graphics and it's like, here you go. You're in the next area. The, and you're the like,
1: later oh, Final okay. Fantasy, like 10 Like where you could literally see the line of like, oh, you're in a forest made completely (laughs) out of gemstones. And now you're in a mountain that has palm trees for some reason. Like there's just like you you (laughs) could almost imagine feeling the temperature change when you step over the imaginary line where the music changes, the graphics change, everything just changes. (laughs) Right. And so having a transition zone, right, like an airlock of of tone and visuals (laughs) and audio, I think is kind of nice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. How'd you feel about the sound effects in this game?
1: Well, there's a lot of bangs and booms and like sci-fi sound effects, which I think very mildly clashes with the small-town America. Everything's made out of wood and and plaster kind of visuals, and not in a not in a way that I think was a mistake. But it's all of the combat is. Like, you know, your your psychic telekinetic powers, you fight a lot of robots, you fight a lot of aliens, right? There's a lot of, like, gooshy, metallic, you're hitting, you know, things with baseball bats and frying pans. So there's a lot of, like, clanging, which, you know, as you said, the Super Nintendo is less capable of conveying those noises than, like, a PlayStation would have been. So there's a lot of, like, sharp, high-pitched noises with, you know, an attempt at like low thudding noises that really just come across as like kind of like blomp, but it's, I don't know. Like it's, there's a, a certain sci-fi-ness to the audio that isn't always present in the visuals until like later in the game when everything is robots and everything is space aliens. And then it feels a little bit more cohesive, but it's like, the, the sound effects are almost pulling you forward into you're going to be fighting robots with psychic powers and so expect everything to sound like new synth wave music right and they're it's kind of pulling you out of the normal yeah. the way the world looks very normal the sound effects are like pulling you forward into the sci-fi coat of paint that's on everything
2: I'd, I'd say that you know the battle sounds i think they're they're not necessarily remarkable or state of the art or anything like just like the graphics aren't but they do fit what's going on and i do think it's pretty satisfying when you get a smash hit you feel really good and the, the little the, the smash sound is just like yes uh this guy that you know especially because uh when, you know not in mechanics yet but when you miss a whole lot and then you get a smash you're just <laughs> like ah oh, finally finally hit him.
1: it, it is satisfying <laughs>
2: And you know some of the spells you use have pretty nice sound. Like I think they're they're interesting. They're they're definitely different than, you know, what you you see in a lot of games. So I mean we
1: we we kind of glossed over all the all the PSI's, right? All your spell like abilities are all flashing colors, right? Cuz that's what the game's all about. It's flashing colors, solid colors and flashing colors. That's all the visuals can be summed up as one of those two things.
2: It's Just a a trip the whole game.
1: Yeah. But then the audio I feel like when you cast like the like PSI fire, it tries to have that like kind of whooshy like rushing fire sort of noise. And when you cast like ice it or freeze? Freeze. It it sort of is like, you know, chimey sort of tones, right? Like they're they're playing with those feelings of like, oh, this noise makes me think of like a rushing heat wave or like ice you know like shattering right but then some of the psi effects don't have simple physical allegories like your chosen you know the heroes like psi is just like the force of their will and so that just has kind of like a synthy sci-fi effect which feels totally on brand but i don't know what that's supposed to sound like so i assume this sounds fine right yeah. and then um the uh like most of the healing spells Or such that they are, but the the status-related ones, they all kind (laughs) of have, like, generic white magic-y kind of tinkling, like, beeps and boops and... It's
2: not that's not bad but fairy dust is being sprinkled Yeah, but I, yeah. I think
1: unremarkable is not really a, a wrong term for it, right? It's it's just the generic magical fairy dust sound.
2: Well, the more sci-fi ones I could pick out in a lineup, but just some of the other sounds is like, "Well, it sounds like a Super Nintendo game. I don't know what game or exactly what." Like if you had a blind double blind <laughs> test on like which which force of will is this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But since the game is so conceptually built on the writing, it's not relying on the sound effects as important signifiers. It's more accompaniment than the thing you rely on to know what's going on. And so that saves it. Or, you know, if you don't like having to read everything, then you're still mad about (laughs) it. But um, at least you're not like... Utterly dependent on, oh, I heard that. Now I know this is what's going on. Um, so it doesn't hurt your ability to play the game if it's unremarkable.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, the the question we've asked sometimes before is, like, could you play this game on mute? And would you be missing anything if you heard none of the sound? And Yes. All, much like the visuals, my answer is tone. You would be missing a lot of the tone of a given thing, right? Like when you uh, defeat an enemy without going into battle and it makes the like, kind of like, it's not quite the smash noise, but it's, it's like a, it might be unique to that encounter actually, but it it makes that noise. You can see visually very clearly that you did not enter the battle and that you got experience and sometimes treasure, right? You didn't lose any information,
2: another cookie you got to abandon
1: yeah but but it makes <laughs> but it makes the it makes it very clear how to feel sometimes with some of the the sounds and and there's toward the end of the game in particular there's a lot of times where sound is not present music drops out things happen without sound effects or with very sparse sound effects so i feel like you get a lot of feeling information like how should i be feeling right now from the music and the sound effects but not a lot of gameplay like oh that was the fire sound effect that means all of this other ancillary information like no it, it could have been any sound effect right i just i just needed to know that a spell was cast that a a you know blow was missed that a status ailment happened right and and any noise could accompany those things and sometimes it's Great and a lot of times it's just like the alert notification buzzer that you got a status ailment
2: you just made me think of um, the lack of sound or the lack of what you're used to having in the game that contrast is a huge part of the sound of this game it's not so much that any you know this or that sound or that that song is memorable, but the happy town music when you go into a, a strange place and it's just a low drone or just like a some like kind of unsettling like buzz that's extra creepy when you're used to like oh this is a happy day like there's you know there's my mom's house and you know I can go down here to the park and like now now I'm somewhere strange and so that that contrast definitely was used really well in this game
1: right and that's often not conveyed either clearly visually or in like an over the top way Visually, not always. I mean, like Threed is super obviously zombie town, but like there's there's the music or I mean, I guess you would still call it music, right? Like a drone when it's just like a buzzing that that conveys a tremendous amount of foreboding and something is wrong here that it would be hard to convey with the visuals that wouldn't be alarmingly jarring, right? Like, if everything on the screen was, like, flickering or shaking or the colors were all wrong, like, that would be an overwhelming, like, like things are wrong here, danger, danger. But just having, like a like, a buzzing or a drone or, like, music that's just, like, a little bit off, I think conveys tone and emotion in a way that is is better suited i guess for sound like it's a it's the right tool for the job i guess
2: and it makes me want to connect this game to the debate about our games art (laughs) um which i think they definitely can be sorry roger ebert or whoever was being a dick about this (laughs) at some point but um the use of sound like we're describing the the happy versus the drone or the unsettling um, if you've ever seen the 70s version of Solaris by the Russian director Tarkovsky, um, I'll just say enough about this to get the sound concept along. You don't have to talk about <laughs> the whole movie, which we could do for hours. Um, it's it's about an astronaut that goes into space and some bunch of weird stuff happens. But before that even happens, he, it starts out on a farm and it's like supernatural, not supernatural, <laughs> it's very natural setting. <laughs> There's, you know, trees and ponds and flowers, and there's, like, a very bright orchestral score. Um, This movie came out around the time of 2001. They both have very rich orchestral scores. And after the farm scenes, he goes to the city because he's going to go eventually, you know, launch up into space. And there's, like, five or ten minutes of just black and white. And so the farm scenes were all in color, and there's just black and white traffic and they're just on highways, and it's just like, ah! <laughs> Just like, the city is just a bunch of noise. It's not beautiful, it's not brightly colored, it's just concrete and metal. And ah! <laughs> and I got, you know, I want to connect Earthbound to that a little bit. Um, not that I think there's a lot of parallels or anything like that, but just the use of sound was so jarring going from this beautiful pastoral setting to noise and you know i think uh, some parts of earthbound use that kind of contrast
1: well someone brought this to my attention with uh, the opening of the movie the social network have you seen this youtube video with the the music they chose for it so it's in the opening of the social network like it's uh it's nighttime on a college campus and the camera's like panning and you see people walking like nothing seems out of place nothing seems Particularly important, even the movie has just started, and uh, what this this YouTube video was critiquing about the opening, they were praising, but I mean, in their critique, they were saying that if you watch the opening to the movie, the opening song is like I think it's like a single cello and like only left hand piano, like it's sad, slow melancholy and the way that this critic explained it is that choice of song lets you know that what is about to happen is not good like yes visually what you're seeing is like people just walking on college campus like going to parties like dorms and and frat clubs and stuff and or frat houses and and but the music tells you emotionally this is not Animal House. You are not about to watch a fun movie about college yeah. and a kid who strikes it rich and you know gets to drive Ferraris from his bed to his bathroom because it's that far away, right? Like it's that's not what's about to happen. And to illustrate his point, he recut the opening with like a generic, like poppy, like two thousands college song, and it you you watch that scene and you're just like, oh, this would be a totally different movie, right? And that feeling is pervasive throughout earthbound is could you play this game with the music off and the sound off and not get any of the sound effects and not hearing the music? Yeah, absolutely. But you would be missing. I I would say you, you'd be missing as much tonal information by not hearing the music and the sound effects as you would be by not reading the text. Like if you looked at this game, if you just looked at a screenshot of earthbound, you have no idea what earthbound is about but if if you watched a 15 second clip that had some text in it and you could hear the music you would know infinitely more about the kind of universe and how the the creators of the game wanted you to feel so i'm i'm torn between how apt the word unremarkable is for some of the sound effects and and yet how absolutely crucial every noise is to telling you how to feel like i don't Again, maybe an intentional choice, like, oh, we just used this stock Super Nintendo sound, but you know why, (laughs) wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, it's it's weird to feel this juxtaposition.
2: Maybe it's like, could someone make an animation with Lego blocks that makes you cry? And you're like, these are just Lego blocks, (laughs) but what they made with them is (laughs) so, you know, whatever, moving, whatever it is. Um, Should we get to controls?
1: Yes, we we can move on to controls because I have a lot of things to talk about for mechanics, but one very specific note about the controls, which is I've probably replayed this game, I don't know, a dozen or so times. I've probably played it to completion at least five to ten times. Um, I'm pretty sure on this playthrough is when I learned that L is the all-consuming (laughs) make-the-game-progress button. (laughs) Like... You can use it to yeah. talk to things, but you can also use it to check inanimate objects. And if you go into the menu and you talk to an inanimate object, it says, who are you talking to? And if you check someone that you're supposed to be talking to, it just says, like, I think everything is fine or something like that or no- nothing nothing to see or something like yeah. that. But, but if you just press L, it is the all purpose advance the dialogue button. You can use it in shops. You can use it in battle. You can use it on the overworld map. Like, it's it's the magical button. How did I not know this? And why is that button L?
2: <laughs> and you're pr- like, your tone of voice is incredulous, but it also almost <laughs> sounds like, yay, they created this amazing button <laughs> that should have just been the default in the first place. <laughs> yes. And yeah, because before you know about L, you have to open the Dragon Warrior menu to say, Am I so Dragon Warrior is even worse, just by contrast. It gets even worse because in Dragon Warrior, there's stairs, and stepping on the stairs does not go through the stairs you have to open the menu and say stairs and so that's just text adventure you know that was probably an upgrade from text adventure because at least you have the affordance that in the menu there's the word (laughs) stairs to know that you need to use that whereas in a text adventure it's just like open door you can't open the door oh i guess i can't open the door (laughs) and so you just have to ask every question possible to figure out how to move but Yeah, before I discovered the L button, I had, you know, a lot of anger piled up to say, why do I have to click, you know, three or four times to do anything every time I want to do something? And then the glorious L button. And then I was like, why is it L? Why isn't it A? But then, you know, one of the nice benefits of it being L is you can play the game (laughs) one-handed. I don't know what you're supposed to do with your other hand. I guess you're supposed to eat food. I'm not going to make other (laughs) suggestions, but at least you can play with one hand.
1: And and when you, because I, I discovered that it was L, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is changing everything in my life, right? Like everything I thought I knew has come crashing down around me. And then I mentioned this to you in our chat, and you were like, Yeah, it's kind of weird that it's L, but I guess it sort of lets you play the game one-handed. And then I was like, oh, my God, everything is changing again. Like, I've never... (laughs) Like, you don't think of most games as, like, one-handable. And you could, I think, realistically play the vast majority of the game with one hand. And if you were willing to tolerate, like, triggering... Um, menus at the wrong time just as a way of getting the menu to close, you could maybe play the whole game one-handed. Like That's such a bizarre... Yeah.
2: <laughs> could that possibly be why they made it L? Maybe. They spent five years <laughs> kicking this game around. I bet you <laughs> could make the argument. Um, but I don't know that there's that much to say about the control. I already complained about the pathfinding of like seeing uh, space between trees and not being able to move through it. Um, I'm, I'm mad that there's not a run button because sometimes, so one of the things you have to do a lot of in this game is you got to backtrack a lot. You got to go back and forth between places. And I'd say the default movement speed is kind of slow and I get pretty impatient. And there are things that mitigate that. You get a bike, which you can't use when you have a teddy bear or some other situations, but at least sometimes you can ride. You can
1: ride the bike only when you are alone. And you get the bike right before you're never alone again. <laughs>
2: so that's another like <laughs> screw you kind of like here's something you that doesn't help you. Um, maybe to that point you get a teleport spell, but you need like the back to the future space on the road to even use it. Um, and then later, eventually you upgrade it and then you spin in circles and you still need to have enough clear space, but at least it's less clear space. So again, you can argue the concept makes it frustrating for a reason, but it's still really kind of obnoxious.
1: Well, so uh, one of, one of the fans of the show who uh, occasionally like plays along um, was <laughs> watching me, because I streamed uh, a bunch of Earthbound. Uh, was watching me like run in circles because I forgot you get the upgraded teleport. So I was just when I first got the teleport, I was just doing it with my thumb, just like r- making myself run in a little circle. And she was just like, like, "Oh wow, how are you doing that and i was like i'm i'm just I'm just drawing circles with my thumb as fast as I can so that I don't have to have <laughs> enough road to get up to eighty eight right and And then, like ten <laughs> minutes later, I got the upgraded um teleport teleport beta um and she was like literally how are you running in that tight of a circle and i was like okay no now um now it's actually the game like i just forgot i just completely spaced and so you don't really have to teleport that much when you first get it and then you get teleport beta fairly soon after so again it feels kind of like a screw you just like oh you gotta have all this highway to get up to 88 miles an hour marty just kidding we'll let you run in this tight little spiral like it's it's like why why didn't you just do that the first time
2: 'Cause the game isn't trying to make things convenient. <laughs> it is not. It's 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 not trying to make them inconvenient either, even though there is plenty of inconvenience at times. It's just doing its own tune. <laughs> it's it's playing another song, man. <laughs> but uh mechanics. Uh what do you uh, got I mean, for this?
1: Should we just jump right to uh the Uh, sisyphusian nightmare that is inventory (laughs) management
2: yeah and connect that straight to shop purchasing
1: (laughs) yes yeah the, the the and this is why i said like it's almost impossible to talk about the ui without talking about the affordances it totally robs you of mechanically right because they could have given you a bunch more useful information and options in the shopping ui but they don't in fact some of the limitations feel so directly cribbed from text adventures that there's no way it's an accident. Like these are intentional choices. Like if you, um, first off there, you know, there's four party members. Each of us has their own inventory. And if I'm dead, I can't use my items, but other people can take items out of my bag and then use them, but only outside of combat, not inside of combat. So There's just all of this horror around the way the inventory is managed. And if you (laughs) buy something, like say you buy the next bat and you know that that bat is better, they thought, oh, you know, it'd be nice when you buy the bat. The next thing the shopkeeper will say is, do you want me to buy your old bat for X amount of dollars, which is really convenient because there's zero reason to keep old equipment ever. So you say, yes, I would love it if you buy that. (laughs) but if ness's inventory is full then i can give it to paula but then i have to leave the shop which as you mentioned is 800 lines of dialogue and then open the menu move something from my inventory to paula's then move something or move the bat into my inventory from paula's equip it then reopen the store and then sell the bat and all of those are individual distinct actions when you go to the shopkeeper, they say, Do you want to buy or sell? And then you buy or sell one thing, and then the shopkeeper says, Okay, do you want to buy
2: or sell? <laughs> hi, I'm a server. <laughs>
1: it's totally hi I'm a server. Holy crap. <laughs> it totally is. Right. <laughs> just every single action is as if you just started the interaction. Right. It's it's like when uh when when like voice assistants first started to get popular, and then they were like, Oh, now you can make like continual requests. And say, like, oh, hey, uh, Guillermo, I want to hear this song by the Rolling Stones. And also, what is the weather like today? Right? Where when they first came out, like, those would have been distinct actions. That is Earthbound. Earthbound is talking to Siri. It's, hey, Siri, X. Hey, Siri, Y. Hey, Siri, Z. Right? It's just, oh, God, it's it's laborious.
2: <laughs> You just triggered everyone's dingus that has an Apple device.
1: (laughs) I probably did. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. It's
2: okay. Yeah, the shopping... Yeah, it's... And it, it was very of its era, I would say, other than Square was totally kicking ass at all of this <laughs> by this time with their yes, RPGs by 99 right now. You know exactly the differences. Yeah, all the stuff we said. But, um, you know, that this is how painful most fantasy stars are. This is how painful most of the Dragon Warriors are. So it's not worse than the status quo for the most part, but it still sucks. <laughs>
1: Well and it, it feels like an intentional it feels like an intentional holding on to this UI. And then they actually went out of their way to make the user experience a little bit worse because there are first off, you have a very small inventory. So not only is my inventory and your inventory separate inventories, but they're small and they include your equipable items. You can equip four items. So if your inventory is let's say twenty items, it's really only sixteen because four of them are taken up by equipment. So there's that. And then you pair that with the fact that there are items in the game that are useless. And some of them tell you, like, (laughs) I think it's the postcard says something like just a postcard has no use. But then there's other things like the ruler. (laughs) And if the description of the ruler is like, it's a great ruler. You could totally measure things with it. But it has no function in the game. (laughs) So. Like not only do they give you this super tiny inventory and then they make managing that inventory really hard, but there are items that are garbage just to screw with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, there's something from a certain perspective that is so lovely about the mess <laughs> of this game, but it's not as a game. I'll I'll get to this point later, but <laughs> let's keep going on mechanics. Um I'd say, you know, along these lines, is there anything more infuriating in an RPG than when you need or want to run away and it just fails over and over and you watch them kill you and you're just like, I'm either losing half my money or I went through the pain of going and depositing into the ATM before I went on my adventure, which is now an errand you have to run all the time if you don't want to lose half your money. Um, yeah just some of these things the backtracking the menu the listening to everyone mouth off (laughs) at the end of the conversation which is frequently very funny and very interesting all over this game but in the areas like shopping where you do it over and over man just don't do it there like be as weird as you want everywhere else why does it have to be here why do you have to say something else yeah, I don't. I don't
1: need every interaction, it, and and I feel I've I've been reprimanded by people in my real life for what I'm about to say, which is uh, I don't personally get a lot of social value in my life from interactions with like shop clerks, and I don't pretend that I am their buddy. Like when I go into a store, I'm polite, <laughs> but it, I am there to transact business, and so. I probably come across as very short to people and the place that this has manifested in a very like millennial, you know, 2010s way is I don't talk to my Lyft driver, right? Like if I take a Lyft somewhere, I am headphones in. Yeah, don't right? talk to me. Because this we are not friends. This is a business transaction. You are a taxi driver. I am a taxi passenger. <laughs> And I know that that sounds incredibly arrogant, but when I work, I have worked counter service jobs. And if somebody wanted to stand there and make chit chat with me, I did it because that is essentially what they were paying me for. If they wanted to talk about sports, which I don't care about, or news, which I try not to follow, or movies, <laughs> which I do care about, but not always the movies they cared about, while I was making their coffee, I would do that because that is the service that they were paying me for. If they stood there in silence and were obviously not looking to chit chat with me, I would make their coffee in silence and then hand it to them because that is the service they were paying me for. And this game feels like that, but without my ability to give them a look that conveys, I don't want to talk to you. So like every transaction yeah. in every store is like, Oh, how about this? Hardy, har, har. Do you want to buy or sell? Okay. Have a great day. And it's like, stop, stop. This is the eighth item I bought for you. You don't have to tell me to have a great day. Like we're still doing business.
2: <laughs> my my brother wrote a short story for something we published called the pseudo book. Uh, about a fast food restaurant before there were menus. And so like you would go to this restaurant and they would go, do you want a certain number of hamburgers? <laughs> yes or no. Do you want a certain number of cheeseburgers? Yes or no. And then you go through that list and then it's like, do you want one hamburger? Okay. Do you want two hamburgers? Oh, God. Want- and so the- it's,
1: you the- ha- You have to do items and quantity of items separately?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Through yes or no questions <laughs> that they ask you, and like obviously, this would be in like next Earthcon will probably do this because they'll want to torture <laughs> you even more. But, um, yeah, totally absurd. Like, of course, restaurants weren't that painful before menus existed, it would just be like, What do you want? But, um, or you would see that they they, get, they have this thing, but, um, yeah, that's just needlessly irritating and i don't think it necessarily like for a lot of these tedious things we're like but the concept it's like part of it and i don't think this one you can really defend that way it's just like no this just sucks this just sucks i mean
1: and this this is, like I said before, if this is intentional and they're like, oh, wouldn't this make shopping in an RPG terrible? Yes. Yes, it would make shopping in an RPG terrible. Please do not remove some of the fun from your game by making me do this, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's, not, yeah. it's not a thing that you slog through and you're like, oh, God, I hate that one part of the game that's like, it's Metal Gear Solid 3 climbing the ladder. Like, what a thrill. Right? It's not that. That's <laughs> it's not that weirdness, <laughs> just so you have this like moment of forced introspection because there's literally nothing happening in the game, but you have to hold up on the joystick like this is something that is completely yeah. mundane and transactional that you do dozens and dozens and dozens of times throughout the game, so if choosing this to be like quirky and different, this was not the right time
2: um I'd say one of the other paper cuts mechanically for me was. So one of the pluses of this game that you pointed out to me was if you die in battle, you don't lose your experience when you start over, you continue. Um, So any grinding you did, you you get credit for that. You will lose half of any money you had on your person, but anything you had in the bank stays, is safe. Those are cool. Um, But after you die... um, Ness comes back and your friends are still dead. So you got to go to the hospital. Yeah. In some parts of the game, that means you got to go through dangerous areas to get to a hospital or whoever can bring them back, um, which can be very difficult uh, just Ness alone. Um, then even after you bring them back at the hospital, their psi power is still gone. So you got to go find a hotel or whatever version of (laughs) someone that can help you a spring or whatever it is. Um, and so there's kind of this like turnaround time, uh, latency to really being back and ready to go again. That, you know, middle to late game gets more irritating depending on what part of the game you're in. Some, you know, sometimes it's not so bad, but, um, that that cycle got old for me of like okay, now i've gotta like I'd rather reload my save than try to rebuild my party
1: and and the fact that I would rather reload my save and lose all of the money and experience that the game generously let me keep when I died sometimes <laughs> came across as the superior option to. Okay, now I'm going to walk to the hospital and individually res each person because every business transaction is high on the server. (laughs) And then go to the hotel. And oh, by the way, did you forget that you lost half your money? So maybe you've been putting all your money in the ATM. So you weren't carrying enough money to res everyone and sleep at the hotel. That's one more trip to the ATM. Did you do the mental math wrong? That's another trip to the ATM to get the last $20 you needed or whatever. Like, it's... If you have a choice as a player between retaining some of your progress or losing all of it, the game should not make you go, maybe losing all of it isn't that bad.
2: Right? Like that's, that's a weird place yeah. to be in. And, and, you know, it didn't happen all the time, but when it happened, it was it was very noticeable and very painful to be like, ugh.
1: Well, especially in – because you, you spend the first portion of the game as just Ness – and then you get Paula, but then once you get, oh God, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff. Is it Jeff? I I can't, you gave him some absurd name
2: in your playthrough. They're all like fluffy, flappy, whatever, farty. I can't remember. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, once you get the, the nerd kid, the builder, engineer person, um, then, like, the balance shifts, right? Yeah, it's Jeff. Yes. <laughs> but, like, from that point on, the balance shifts that when you die, you now have to res more than half the party, right? Because only Ness comes back. You now have to go to the hotel to restore everybody's PP, right? It's, it yeah, it's, the game should not ever put you in a position where you would willingly give up the experience and money they allowed you to keep when you died just to save yourself, like, the 10 minutes of walking around and doing ATM withdrawals.
2: The game has, you know, I'd say the classic RPG pain of who do I got to talk to to move (laughs) this thing forward? Um, I'd say this game has a very acute case of that in almost every area of the game, which is part of the joy of the game is talking to people in the game. So I'm okay with it. Like almost anyone you talk to has something funny or interesting to say. And the script is very strong in this game. So, you know, that helps a lot that you're kind of naturally drawn to be like, I just kind of want to see what, what's going on in these places. Um, but sometimes you do feel like, what part of this town will get me moving in this game? And yet, yeah, that's another case of, well, go grab the guide that you you certainly bought the game, <laughs> didn't you? So you have the guide, right? So go use the guide. Or, you know, in this era, go to Game Facts when you're just like, I just want to know.
1: Well, and especially just... when you... If, if you've been enjoying the world and you're talking to people and you're like, oh, this is interesting. and Oh, this thing this person said is like, taught me a lot about how the world works and the kind of people who inhabit it, right? And if you're enjoying that... And then you stop and kind of put your hands on your hips and you're like, all right, ready to advance the story. No idea how to do that, right? Like that crumbling moment of like, I don't know. I, I know that I want to progress the story now and I have no idea who to go talk to or where to go. And there are not a lot of times, especially it's mostly in the first half of the game, but there are a couple of times where it's like, Oh, you have to go into this building and talk to this one person, and then walk out of the building and go over here. And then that triggers like a little cutscene or a little event or something. And there's really nothing to indicate that that is what would happen because that's ancillary or adjacent to the quest you're on. Like in the first half of the game, your quest, like the scope of it, is unfolding. Rapidly, So it's like you're a kid with a bat and you got to go beat a space alien to death with that bat. And so as the scope is unfolding and the world is getting bigger and bigger, the fact that sometimes it's like, oh, go into this bar and talk to the wall behind the bar and then that transports you to a different town. It's like, how How would I have known that? Nothing any of these crazy townspeople said was anything close to that except this one person who is not a required conversation that says like, oh, I think there's a secret room in the bar. It's like, uh, (laughs) why?
2: Yeah. The game is aggressively not holding your hand, which, I mean, in today's era every game holds your hand like crazy it's you have a quest log it tells you exactly what gps coordinates (laughs) exactly where to go and who to mash the button to so um you know so much contrast if you're used to modern games this game is this game is just itself it's not even like trying to play with all the forms necessarily
1: I, i will say that at this point in history though the world is small enough that the idea of I'm not sure what to do. So I'm going to start in the top left corner of the map and talk to every single person and interact with every single interactable object. Like if you absolutely could not piece together what to do, nothing anybody said was making any sense to you. And you were essentially like, I have to click on every square, so to speak that that's not, it's not fun, but it's certainly not an insurmountable task. Like if you gave someone, you know, fallout 3 or skyrim and you were like oh by the way you'll never know where to go or what to do so just talk to everyone until the story advances it's like there's <laughs> hundreds of npcs like that would be a completely yeah. intractable task but in earthbound
2: yeah there's hundreds of square miles to go around. <laughs> yeah. so
1: it's not it's not fun to be that lost and that like disassociated from the experience but you can brute force a solution if absolutely required but they're they're definitely expecting you to like pick up all their subtle little text cues and
2: every little tiny insignificant
1: clue that a person might leave for you
2: what about waiting for 3 minutes at a waterfall so someone
1: does explicitly tell you you have to do that and and this is definitely a screw you to the player because as a human player you think, surely no, surely they do not expect me to literally stand still in front of the waterfall for three minutes, but surely yes, they absolutely do expect you to do that. And if you touch a single button on the controller, it resets the timer. Yeah, no, that that's a big screw you to the player because they explicitly tell you what to do, but any human player who's ever played another video game would be like, no, that that can't be right. It's like, no, that's not world building. That is literally actually what you do. Which again, like, I love it because it's just it's it's bananas. It makes no damn sense in the world of video games.
2: (laughs) Throw on the pile of this absolutely makes the gameplay more painful. And yes, we're doing it. (laughs) There's a there's not that the game's trying to like dark souls punish you. Like it's not it's not a masochist sadism kind of game, but um, Nonetheless it, it's very much intentionally chosen to be this way. It's not like an inexperienced designer didn't realize that 3 minute wait timers for something to happen was a bad design choice. It wasn't that kind of mistake. It it is it is a choice, but you know I I'm just going to keep like when we get to the summary I'll have some way of talking about it, but yeah, this this game is painful, but it's, it's a beautiful gem of what it is.
1: <laughs> so I, I need to... This has made me think of two specific things. Uh, one, I accidentally mentioned uh, very tiny text clues that tell you what to do. So uh, spoilers, the way you beat the last boss is you pray him to death, which if you played <laughs> the first mother game, you might know that because that is also how you beat the last boss in the first game. Um, or it's a, it's a very similar mechanic. You don't beat them to death. You some other thing them to death. And uh, there is literally one and only one single line of dialogue that Pokey says to you during the final encounter that would clue you in to the fact that you don't beat Gygus through the usual channels of beating him to death. And he doesn't use the word pray. And that's what you need to do. You need to use Paula's prey ability. And so... It's like they're really banking on you, like piecing that together. And if you do, then it makes the last fight really interesting and we'll get there. But if you don't know that it would make the last fight psychotically frustrating. Cause you would just die and die and die and have no idea. Like, am I getting close? Yeah. Am I, like you would have just no idea what's happening. Um, the other thing uh, when it comes to battles specifically in terms of like just quirky mechanics that are definitely intentional, but are just so weird is uh, when the game starts, you don't have a lot of health. And by about the midpoint of the game, you have, you know, in the mid-hundreds, like, two, three, four hundred hit points. Um, when you take damage, your health counter literally counts down. Like, it it looks like reels on, like, an old-fashioned, uh, like, slot machine. And if you finish the battle, run from the battle, or heal yourself... That action takes effect at whatever number is being displayed, not on what the target number is. So if you have a hundred hit points and it is counting down and you take you know fifty damage, so it's counting down to fifty, and you heal yourself when it's only at 75, you start healing up from 75, right? The math is not strict commutative addition and subtraction. It is like based <laughs> on what is visually displayed to the player. It's
2: like an interrupt. On it, it.
1: it is. And I can't think of a single other game I have ever played where you could essentially stop yourself from bleeding to death because it there are times where tactically the right thing to do is beat the enemy to death as quickly as possible. The enemy has used a spell or done some ability that has KO'd everyone in your party. They're all going to die. But if you just damage them enough to end the battle before all four people die, you win, right? And like, yeah, that is a weird that's a, such a weird mechanic, especially for an RPG. Like, I am bleeding to death, but if I press A or L fast enough, I can actually <laughs> exit this battle successfully. That's, I can't think of another game of any type.
2: Yeah, it's wild. And the visual of it is kind of like a slot machine, like rotating around and and just barreling down. Yeah, that is a you know I had that in my notes as like a really interesting mechanic on the the slot machine health, and that it is absolutely intended for certain battles where you're dead. Hope you can get out of this because you're dying.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of enemies that have uh, what I would call in D and D death throws. You know, so it's like oh, you defeated this enemy and they explode. And they do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hit points of damage. And so, tactically, you learn okay, if there is more than one enemy, I'll kill all of the other enemies first and then finish the battle with the enemy that explodes and then press L through the text as fast as I can to minimize the amount of damage I take. Right? It's, yeah. You start playing the game's systems like the- as well as the game itself.
2: Yeah, it it makes battles like there's a pyrrhic victory of like, well, I'm going to beat them, but I'm not walking away with both my arms. Like one of them's going to be gone <laughs> when I when I get out of this battle. And yeah, there is something it just it's just one more thing that makes this game interesting and and strange and different. So, I have two two last comments um before I let you do your
1: postmodern uh, deep introspective <laughs> moment. Um, Uh, One of them is just me trying to be honest about uh, my games literacy. Um, So uh, I I I finished this game on a Twitch stream, right? So uh, I had I don't know a handful of people like cheering me on. It was actually kind of fun because there was this one uh, person watching who was like super engaged. They're like, "Oh my god, I love this game! Like you're super overpowered! Like you're gonna just walk through the last fight!" and the march to the last fight is a friggin' slog, even for as overpowered as my party was. We were just dying and dying and dying, and so then this one person in the chat was just like, maybe just run from all these fights, and so then I tried running from all the fights and were just dying and dying, so I had to keep going back and like refreshing health, and I literally finished the entire game without realizing that there is... Uh, there is a spell-like ability, one of your your PSI abilities, that brings people back from the dead, and I didn't know that, and I don't know how long I had that ability, and so I literally played the entire game like on hard, where, where I just could have been resurrecting people, but if I didn't have items in my inventory to resurrect people, I had to go back to the hospital. Like I was, I was playing with an, one arm tied behind my back, particularly in the yeah. second half of the game, where people are dying constantly because that is. The battle, that is the battle system as they designed it. So, I just wanted to be honest that uh, I had this very public, embarrassing finish of the game where people watched me not know that I could res people with the healing spells that I had. So, that was a thing. Uh, the, the other thing about the end of the game that I think is uh, fascinating is uh, the final boss fight is essentially a cutscene because you just keep saying, like, pray, 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 and then. That just does all of the damage required to defeat Gygas. and it's 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 basically a cutscene. Like you you see some text, you pray. It's the Spirit Bomb moment, right from Dragon Ball Z, and then you <laughs> you win. And that feels a little anticlimactic to have this big final boss scene be um, essentially just like press L to continue. <laughs> but then I realize that if you <laughs> juxtapose that against what would be the ending cinematic, you have to play the end of the game. So you, like your party disbands and then you decide where you want to teleport to, who you want to talk to. Do you want to talk to anyone? Do you want to like go explore the world now that the world is saved? Like you can basically, as the player, decide how long and involve the ending cinematic is to the game is, or you can just go straight to your mom and like go right to the credits and like, oh, okay, you're done. And again, I there's a chance I'm reading too far into this, but it really <laughs> feels like an intentional, like, oh, isn't aren't we turning all these tropes on their head? That the last fight is a cutscene and the last cutscene is all player driven, right? The, the to have those things reversed so mechanically, like, in such a thick and ham-fisted way, it can't be an accident. Like, they knew they were taking all of the player choice out of the last battle where you would expect it to be and putting it into the, essentially, credits where you do not expect it to be. Like, it's a, ah, we fooled you kind of moment, but it's done in a way that makes the ending of the game feel... What a twist. (laughs) What a twist, but what an interesting twist. Like, it, it feels to decide like oh, I'm going to go talk to this person. I'm going to see how this these people are doing now that I've saved the world. Like that's it 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 gives more ownership over the fact that we saved the world as opposed to like the way Fallout ends where it's just like here's how things turned out. <laughs>
2: yeah. Absolutely. Um I just to full disclosure, I've never played this game all the way to the end. So
1: I when when we so when we decided we were going to play this and you said like oh yeah I've, I was never able to to suffer the weirdness long enough to finish it and rentals and stuff. I was like, "Oh, maybe this time. Maybe this time, but I understand. I understand."
2: <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad about it. Maybe that <laughs> helps. Uh, as long as you <laughs> feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think I know your answer, but does does this hold up?
1: Oh, do you not want to have your your postmodern, or is that part of your that's your summary? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, Uh, so for me, I would say this game completely holds up. Um, It is a particular flavor that I would expect a lot of people don't like and wouldn't suffer all the way through if they got because I mean you know it's like a 30 hour JRPG right so you could easily get 10 or 15 hours into this and be like oh this is all it is it's just weird weird trying to challenge my expectations I could imagine people not liking this for what it is but if you like this taste it's really good like it is a really well made pile of weirdness and I I love the soundtrack Um I didn't mention this during the audio but I actually went out and there's no official way to buy the soundtrack, but you don't have to look very hard to find it through completely mundane channels, like it's just posted on websites. So, like, I actually went out and found the soundtrack because I just love this music so much. Like, the the game is, the story is so well delivered the writing is so clever and interesting and just different than all the other jrpgs i've played in my life like i would i would recommend this to anyone now let alone say oh if you played this when you were a kid you should totally go back and play it like i think as an art piece it's the simple graphics and the way they chose to do the music and the focus on the storytelling has allowed this to transcend beyond its console generation in a way that a lot of games frankly don't right so like not only no nostalgia goggles required but because it's such a quirky art piece and has such a an interesting place in history like I would encourage people to go out of their way to play this game particularly if you've played things that have artifacts in this that you might not understand like if you've played super smash brothers there's a bunch of crap in there from the mother universe that does not make sense to you so if you play this game this one in particular because there's three games in the series if you play this game suddenly like the home run and the the home run bat and like ness's like weird level like all of that stuff starts to make sense like why it feels odd because this game is odd and it's great and everyone should play it
2: See, I I kind of land in the middle. Like, if someone asks me, like, "Is Earthbound a good game?" I'm kind of like, "Sit down, buddy. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's let's get some beers and let's let's start talking about this." Because <laughs> there's all these ways in which I'm kind of like, "No, I kind of hate this game on some mechanical levels or the some of the experience of grinding through parts of this game. I don't enjoy. But as a piece of game art, it's still so unique. Like, it deserves its cult following. It's doing so many wonderful, interesting things. There's so many memorable moments and characters and scenarios. And the fact that you're fighting a stop sign or a taxi cab <laughs> or like, there's things that I feel like there's still like no one has carried this torch very well since. And I like it's like where are more experiments like like there's weird indie games but there's nothing quite this level of like like massive like artistic statement as a game like I don't see very much of that and you know maybe you know listeners will be like no I can think of fifteen games you (laughs) need to go play Mike and I would gladly take those recommendations but I still feel like before or since. There's nothing quite like Earthbound, so like I'm kind of in awe of this game, even though I'm not sure I enjoy playing it very much.
1: <laughs> would would you say that like because I I can like Undertale is probably the quintessential inspired by Earthbound like love letter to the Mother series game, but it, it feels like Earthbound in particular because. Uh, Mother 1 didn't come to the United States and the Western world until later. Mother 3 still hasn't, and you can only play it through fan translations like by playing hack ROMs. But Earthbound somehow achieved this like critical and public acclaim where it got this like, it carved out this corner of pop culture. Undertale, um, of, there's a game I think it's called Other that seems like it's another love letter to to Earthbound. Um Games like Limbo and and Inside Out or, or inside 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 um, Firewatch, like there are games that I can think of off the top of my head that are like artsy, but somehow they all get evaluated for their artsy quirkiness, and they're all directly related back to Earthbound. Like, oh, Undertale is got this thing that's inspired by Earthbound. Or the Stanley Parable is going to throw all of your notions of what a first-person shooter is into question, right? But it's they're getting evaluated for the thing that they're adjacent to, not they don't become a pop culture thing on their own like Earthbound did. So are there other examples? I think you're probably right. There's tons that we, we just aren't thinking of, but somehow they're not evaluated as their own thing.
2: Yeah they didn't build their own head of steam culturally like they they might be riffing on stuff that's established but like I don't see why you would play Stanley Parable more than once and more than whatever number of couple hours it takes to experience a lot of its weirdness and then you you kind of consumed it and you're kind of done and I I've, I've never felt like I wanted to go back to Stanley Parable even though I enjoyed it. And I could see going back to Earthbound way more than I could see going back to some of those other games you listed. And so there, there's just something really special about Earthbound that it kind of like, I begrudgingly came to love that aspect of it, even though. And actually, I think if you imagined a version of the game that took away all the things we complained about, you're probably slicing out a lot of what makes Earthbound Earthbound and it probably it may have been a better game quote unquote <laughs> but it may not have been anywhere near special or important like to gaming and so i think like there's it's it's a strange creature and i'm just kind of like i don't know how to summarize it i i do think i would encourage people to check it out just because it's so interesting but i also would say like you might not like it as a game <laughs> <laughs> at the same time
1: yeah it's hard to recommend any Art house kind of game, right? Because you're, or or it's like recommending a a kind of food that's not common to your area, right? Like if you live in small, I'm just gonna go with a stereotype. If you live in small town America, and someone's like, "Oh, we should go out. What should we eat?" And you're like, "I don't know. I'm feeling Vietnamese." And it's like, do we even have a Vietnamese restaurant in this little tiny rural town? Like before we even decide if we're going to go there, like, is that even an option that's so outside of our normal, like life choices? Right. And, and so when you recommend something like an earthbound, like for me as a, a JRPG fan, like I can recommend this, no question just on its merits as a game, even though it has a bunch of mechanical failings, it's merits as a game. And then the artistic and cultural impact, like puts it into no nostalgia goggles, no question territory for me. But I mean, like, if you if you have to rank it, like you gotta put it onto that three point scale, like full, you know, <laughs> monocle or no nostalgia goggles, like if you have to put it in one of those boxes, how would you do it? Yeah,
2: I it's it's like somehow it's like some like quantum physics thing where you gotta check this game out and it also kind of sucks in some very serious ways, and it's it's both and like I, I can't I can't pick one. I I, I like is that this a, because, not allowed.
1: <laughs> no, I I love this because this is probably one of the weirder games that we've played on Nostalgia Goggles, and it's certainly tr- one of the games that's trying the hardest to be weird. And I I sort of like that for you. It is completely defying rankability because that's just so earthbound. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It, its rank is I don't care about what ranks are. I'm I just am. I exist and I here I am. Like that's what it is. The curtain falls. The
0: music plays. The credits roll then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself. The fanfare is gone. There's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, a few great events leak back into your head. From the time that you spent traversing the land, Evil, fighting the darkness, just sword in hand, your memories creeping with the end of a smile. You realize again what you lost for a while. You're gonna think back much less on how you save the day than on all the experience gain. No, can't replay what?